My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. I am Iron Man. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Postcard Podcast. I am your host, Eric Italiano, senior writer at BroBible.com. Today, as always, I am joined by my co-host, Kate Onder, who you could find writing about video games as of this week, Hogwarts Legacy, over at comicbook.com. I'm also joined by our sometimes host, Brandon Katz, who you could find doing excellent, and I mean excellent work at Parrot Analytics. My boy got back in front of the mic as a host creator this week and has been hosting conversations with some of the power players in the television, right? Is it just TV streaming or is it film as well, B? Uh, it's a little bit of everything. You know, a lot of them are, are TV-based, but we're still talking about some streaming movies and whatnot. So it's a it's a little smorgasbord. He's got a series that you could find on his Twitter and on the Parrot Analytics YouTube that is basically Brandon talking to some of the biggest sort of industry execs, uh, most notably, I think, so far that I've seen, HBO's Casey Bloys, who I think is widely considered to be one of the shrewdest entertainment minds in the game. B speaks to him for, I think, half an hour, which I'm sure there's some great content in there. So please, B, if you want to speak on that, go ahead. Well, Eric, I wasn't fishing, but I like what I caught there. I appreciate the the hype, my man. And yeah, this has been a series of eight interviews we're conducting for Parrot Analytics' Global Demand Awards, which celebrates the uh, most in-demand talent, TV shows and movies per, per year. So we handed out some, you know, fake awards, which was nice. And uh, yeah, I've been speaking to industry leaders like Casey Bloys, like Rebe- Rebecca Glashow, who heads up uh, BBC Studios, or Brad Schwartz at the CW, a lot of different people across the industry about a, you know, what the hell they're doing, given the just absolute volatility that is raining down on the market ever since 2022, what the strategies are moving forward, how they're adapting, what they're trying to do. And yeah, in that Casey Bloys interview, we do talk a little bit James Gunn. We do talk a little bit DC. We do talk about the future of franchising Game of Thrones. So some fun tidbits in there. Everyone go check it out, uh, Parrot Analytics, and then our YouTube channel. Uh, appreciate the plug, my man. Thank you. Oh, dude, of course, you're doing great work. We're Everyone gonna... make sure to check out Eric Italiano's writing on Bro Bible, baby. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, see, that my I like to stick to the a rising tide lifts all boat. I like that. Uh, all right. We've got a packed show today. A really good show, I think. I am going I saw Ant Man and the Wasp Quantumania last night. I'm gonna share my reaction to that. And we're gonna have a discussion about Marvel as phase five begins at large, because I think that it's actually in the context of Marvel, really important. Like to, for, to have a conversation about what it is and what you want from it. Cade is going to walk us through his review of Hogwarts Legacy, and then we are going to recap uh, episode four of The Last of Us. Please hold my hand. You're an interesting man, Scott Lang. You're an Avenger. You have a daughter, but you've lost a lot of time. Like me. We can help each other with that. All right, so we are going to kick off with the social reactions to Ant-Man and the Quasp Quantumania. As I said, I've the seen quasp. it. Wait, did I say Quasp? <laughs> Is that like the evil version of Wasp? The, the like ne- Waluigi and Luigi? <laughs> no, she rips a fat queef in the movie, so they start calling her Quasp. 
right. Sorry, I didn't mean to. Back on the rails here. No, that's fine. That's fine. I'm more trying to talk to myself. Back on the rails here. All right, Ant Man and the Wasp: Quantum Mania. I saw it Monday night with most of the industry professionals in New York. What I tweeted. So again, this is my social reaction. Ant Man was good. It was not excellent and not terrible. The story worked for me, but the plot I think had tons of holes. Uh, it was a bit of a mix of Journey to the Center of the Earth, Land of the Lost. Kang gave off a very Palpatine Empire type vibe. But I think the key going into this film and MCU films in general, which I think is where a lot of the problems have come in post Infinity War and Endgame, is not expecting it to be Infinity War and Endgame, despite the fact that Kang is in it. Jonathan Majors is obviously fantastic as Kang, and Kang is going to be tons of fun. But I say keyword fun, and I think that that's a complicated word when considering the character that we're talking about here, which is supposed to be the next Thanos. So before I sort of get into my whole diatribe about expectations, I kind of want to hear how you guys are feeling about Marvel as we're going into Phase 5, whether that be at large or what you're expecting from Ant-Man 5 or how you feel about the project in general at this stage. Um. It, the marketing has been interesting because it looks like it's supposed to be a very uh, high stakes, maybe even emotional movie. Uh, apparently, they also said they are planning Ant-Man 4. So that tells me maybe things happen that like the, Ant-Man will be back. Ant-Man will return, as they say in the Just, credits. Yeah, I, I don't know who came out. I know that that was a comic book. Comic uh, book uh, I know we covered it. I don't know if we uh, like got I, that for I, I don't know who gave that quote, but to say that what 10 days before ant-man 3 comes out is just so goddamn frustrating to, it is to make yeah right, but sorry but is that more like uh evangeline lily saying recently too like i think it's time for a wasp solo movie <laughs> oh i know i saw <laughs> that air. oh my god i saw that yeah i mean ant-man 4 could imply a lot of things it could be his daughter i don't you've seen the movie we haven't so i don't know but uh it, it does imply some things but anyways it, like as it, somebody who was like, they should kill Scott Lang. Yeah. That's not what I want to fucking hear. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, exactly. On Twitter, someone was saying it's a good like episode of the MCU, but not that doesn't give me high hopes for it as like a movie. It's like it's part of a saga rather than a story that serves on its own, which I think the other two Ant-Man movies, they they do a great job of just being Ant-Man movies. But it seems like this one isn't necessarily the case. And this is why I think it's such an important conversation to have because your points are leading me right into my point. So great. Well, two things for me. Number one, I'm generally higher on phase four than I think you both are. But that doesn't mean I'm oblivious to the inconsistency that this phase has produced. And I think we'd be fools not to say, listen, Kevin Feige consolidated power at Marvel, started pumping out, you know, two, three, four TV shows a year on top of two, three, four movies a year. Everything in Marvel is spread too thin. And it, I think there is a cascading effect throughout story quality control throughout the whole empire. I think honing back in, focusing back in is going to help really just the consistency of all things. Because I wrote about this at Observer after Endgame, there was going to be a natural resetting of expectations critically and commercially. Not everything was going to be as good as that run. Not everything was going to be as financially successful. And frankly, every empire in history, whether that be military, financial, whatever, comes to an end. No one rides that high for, forever. What I think I'm also frustrated with is, is my point too, is a lot of people saying, wow, I'm, I'm so tired of 
uh, Marvel's house style and I wish they do something different. And then they go out and do Eternals, a movie I like, but understand, understand why people don't. But that is different. It's slower. It's more meditative. It's definitely a, a, a different kind of gradient in terms of the cinematography and coloring. And people reject it outright. So I just think we've reached the point where no matter what, there is going to be a significant and loud contingent that's unhappy. And it's honestly sucked the some of the fun out of the whole experience for everyone. And I think that that is why this is this becomes a conversation of expectations, both for the audience and Marvel themselves. And Cade just put it perfectly. The film is being sold as this epic, right? But then people see it and they say it feels like an episode of something bigger. So how do those two things coexist? And I think that the problem is that the MCU is currently suffering from like a cognitive dissonance of what they want to and think that they are. They are out there having Peyton Reed comparing Quantumania to an Avengers-sized film when in actuality, it is a chapter one. It is a phase starter. And it is a movie that's got enough room to, to devote an entirely comedic role, effective, but comedic role to MODOK. <laughs> Avengers Endgame was all gas, no breaks. It's either yeah. this or the fate of the universe. So right now they're trying to balance how do we live up to the hype in a post-Endgame world while still stringing you along with sub-Endgame projects. And that is becoming the disconnect, I think in the Marvel worlds on the fan side and on the creative side at large. I think that they've sort of, to that point, I think that they've lost the ability to tease people from one project to the next without teasing massive world ending stakes, right? So if you go back to 2014, two of the best MCU films of all time came out, Winter Soldier and Guardians 1, okay? Those weren't Avengers-sized films, but people were excited about them because they were something new, right? Cap was not new because we got Cap 1, but still sure. the Marvel was new at large. The Guardians were new and they were still being innovative and creative. But now that they have such a well-worn formula and they've also have scaled the mountain and reached the Infinity and Endgame peak, where do they go from here? So that is why I think that they're selling Ant-Man 3 as a Kang film because Scott Lang used to care about him all right, yeah, Paul Rudd is fun, but within the context of Marvel, you cared about him because he was a, an Avenger. But now that the Avengers are gone, what reason is there to see this film? You know it's not going to introduce a new hero to the MCU. You know that the next Avengers project is already in the works, so what do you have to care about it? Well, Kang. So I think that that is the problem here. They are trying to have their cake and eat it too, and I think that that's an issue that's only been exasperated by the multiverse and the sort of stakelessness of that. And I think that that is what's causing the recent frustrations with the MCU is that people are expecting and Marvel are selling events that need to compare to Infinity War and Endgame, right? You see Quantumania. You've got the next big bad on the fucking poster. He's in all the trailers. It's the first phase five film. You've got the director being like, I'm tired of being a palate cleanser. I want to be an Avenger-sized film. But in actuality, this movie is a phase starter. It's a chapter one. It's resetting the table more so than it is pushing a narrative momentum forward. You think about Thanos. He didn't have a feature role until Infinity War, which is widely considered to be the best MCU film of all time. Kang has already been used in multiple <laughs> projects with more to come. And his movie doesn't release, quote unquote, his movie doesn't release for another two years. 
And just to put a pin on it before I let y'all back in, I think that that is why enjoying the MCU these days is about managing expectations. Don't go into Ant-Man 3 expecting it to rival Endgame. Expect it to compare to a zany Robert Zemeckis-esque sci-fi from the 80s that just so happens to feature a superhero and understand and accept that superhero films are what are going to fill the margins of the action and sci-fi genre and that that's what this is. This is just action sci-fi where a guy becomes too small and finds himself in a new world and that is all it is and don't expect or want more. And I think once people understand that, they'll enjoy the MCU more until we get to phase, you know, the end of phase five, when it's Fantastic Four and X-Men and Kang and all that shit. I like what you said. Cook, woo, that was a monologue. Oh yeah, good job. Uh, I like what you said. This is what happens when your boy takes notes. (laughs) (laughs) I I like what you said about uh, Captain America and the Winter Soldier and the uh, Guardians of the Galaxy kind of releasing back to back. Because those movies do not like lead into each other, right? Like a lot of the complaints of Marvel recently is like, I don't know where this is going. It seems to just be kind of all over the place. You look at that, you're like, the fuck? They, they went like Iron Man 3, Captain America, the Winter Soldier, and Guardians of the Galaxy, some something like that. I mean, totally bizarre lineup, but it all was flowing very nicely. It doesn't feel like these movies are flowing. And I think also part of that is then you have the Disney Plus shit in there. It also just feels like it's just like right there and doesn't feel like it jives with everything um so but i i like the idea that i if i just go into this movie and judge it as a like you said an 80s zany robert zemeckis type action sci-fi movie do you, do you think it lives up to that portion yes, of it yes Great. and that is what i think is the cognitive dissonance problem marvel are selling one thing but giving us something else and that is what's causing their problems they need to scale this shit back and start treating these films like Iron Man 1 and not Avengers Endgame Part 5. Sure. Yeah. Um, I, I hope that people will hear that, whether it be from you or from anyone else. Because uh, the other thing I also heard was someone said, you could go watch the Kang Dynasty probably or whatever the next Kang movie is and uh, not need to watch this movie. And you'd be totally fine. And um, that's yeah. yes. that's interesting uh especially because you like you said they're advertising this as a kang movie yep. and and maybe that's not a good thing maybe they should just let it serve its own merits as a uh wacky blockbuster yeah at the end of the day the marvel cinematic universe's greatest strength which is its interconnectivity and se- sequential storytelling is also its greatest weakness and vulnerability Classic superhero shit too yeah, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It fits with the medium because listen, number one, it's what allowed them to build up the Infinity Saga over time and introduce characters for the most part, not all of them, that even though people say are B and C listers, you know what? Iron Man and Captain America had a footprint. And I get that they threw in some some uh some Guardians, new kind of yes, yeah, but Cap and Iron Man. But at the end of the day, they they made it feel like it was this web of unbelievably well-plotted sequential storytelling that fed and improved on one another in this great flowing way. But the reason why TV shows don't run typically endless seasons is because quality dips, because you run out of stories to tell. You become shackled by continuity. You become completely fettered by the requirement to build up a world 
introduce this character so that three projects from now they can do XYZ and pay off ABC that was set up seven years ago. It becomes really, really hard and narratively restrictive when you do this in, for infinity. And again, you throw in an Eternals every now and then, which is largely standalone. And when the audience more or less rejects that, it reinforces perhaps the wrong lesson to Marvel. So it's tough for them to continue on with these deeply interconnected uh, uh, stories, particularly in a multiverse, which has endless permutations mm. and uh, stakes wiping out mm. action. And then correct me if I'm wrong, but the whole reason why DC Comics re rebooted the new 52 comic line is because their main universe had become too ungainly, too, tangled. Exactly, yeah. too wieldly, and they didn't know really how to move forward in any cohesive way. So again, I I'm not going to doubt marvel on a macro level because they just continue to prove our expectations wrong for the most part but i am saying it's fair to raise these questions and concerns as we jump into what seems i haven't seen it what seems to be a lukewarm start to phase five after a very mixed phase four so that's that's all i'm saying from a narrative plotting uh franchise expansion standpoint I'll be interested to see if they close the multiverse at some point, right? Where they're they like, have to. They, they simply have to. Yeah. That's uh, why they called phases four through six the multiverse saga. Yeah. And then next they're going to go on to Galactus. And then I imagine it's going to be a new 52 type I think hard so. reboot where Spider Man one will be the first film. You know what I mean? And then, X, you know, they'll start from fucking scratch because everything of B just said. <laughs> I thought yeah. B, B just said it all. Yeah. It's well, just he, funny, though, that, like, even before they got to the multiverse saga, which allows any character to return at any time, they're like, we're also going to use time travel to save characters, too. So welcome mm -hmm. back, Gamora. Nobody's dead. Yeah. yeah. And and when you do it like a movie, when comics, you can do whatever the fuck you want because you don't have to have an actor there like Robert Downey Jr. You can just write it in Iron Man at any point. But with a movie like Iron Man, he's gone forever until they maybe decide to bring him back for a cameo or whatever but like you can't do iron man 4 that's just not happening that's they not can, in the cards though, because the universe has introduced the rules to do so they could pluck another tony star yeah. from another multiverse problem solved and that is why quantum mania the reaction is going to be fascinating i think all right let's move on from one massive franchise to another <laughs> the harry potter franchise returns with the release of hogwarts legacy this friday correct the 11th uh, yeah, it's out right now for early access uh, if you pay like 80 bucks, but you can wait till Friday and get it for yep. 60 or whatever. So this game has been in the work for years. Uh, these are one of those games similar to Spider-Man and Arkham City. These are why I play games. These are why I think that they should exist to sort of immerse you in worlds that you love. Mm -hmm. I have not had a chance to play it yet. I literally am dying to, but fucking <laughs> life, you know what I mean? Sure. Um, Cade, luckily, is a video game writer, so he asked, so Cade, walk us through your big thoughts and feelings here. Yeah, so I have not finished the game yet. I've had it for about a week now, but uh, I've invested probably over 30 hours in this game. And... Is that a lot for the time span? Or? Uh, definitely. Yeah. Okay. I mean, after work every night, it was just play that till the sun rises and then try to get some Jedi. That was wow. all I could do. Um, and kid, I just love that. Like much like uh, Eric does now, much like I did when I was a reporter, you can just turn to your girl and be like, babe, it's my job. What do you want me to do? I have exactly. to. Yeah. Exactly. You, you really, it's, it's the best play, excuse. Whatever. Yeah. It's dude. You, you gotta understand I'm, I'm playing Harry Potter. It's just, I can't hang out. Uh, but yeah. That's that's how it's been for the last week. It's uh, very hectic, but 
the game itself is the exact thing that Eric was just describing. It is total wish fulfillment. I think when every child read or watched Harry Potter growing up, they're like, I want to see, or I want to experience this world. I want to go there. It's not real. So you can't, then, you know, they had universal studios kind of try to do the real life version of it, but there's nothing like getting the sorting hat on your head, answering some questions. And then it's like, you're in Gryffindor. And then you're like, fuck yeah i am i'm a hero baby <laughs> and and then going around shooting people with spells and lifting things up and and lighting people on fire even if they're children it's a little bit weird it's now a little bit let grim, me stop but... you there because there's been a lot of <laughs> stop you but i think that you make a great point of sort of fandom's desire to live in these worlds and the yeah. fundamentals of gaming i've seen ign's review get destroyed mm-hmm. because basically what i'm seeing i've not read it myself is that the review basically says well, the game is a mess, but I've always <laughs> wanted to avoid it. It's pretty yeah, the shit yeah. out of somebody. Yeah. So do you think that wish fulfillment, as you called it, is enough to buoy a successful game? I don't even necessarily agree with some of IGN's points. Uh, some of it, yeah, like there's some technical issues. Like you'll walk out, like you'll go through a door and it'll take like a second to load. And that's kind of annoying. It's not crazy. It's whatever. I mean, the fact that it can seamlessly open the door, take half a second to be like, hang on need to load in the world and then push you out into this giant sprawling world is, is an achievement. I think that's something that's amazing, but um, yeah, there are some things that I think if this wasn't Harry Potter, some people would, or I, I should say actually the inverse, the fact that it is Harry Potter will actually detract in some areas, right? Because that wish fulfillment is so important to some people that I think some people are like, this is going to be, you're playing bully, the rockstar game. No, but I've heard of it. Well, in bully, you're at a school and you're on a, a schedule every day. You have to go to attend your classes or you get in trouble. If you go outside the school grounds while classes are in attendance, the police will find you and they'll take you back to school. Oh, wow. This game doesn't have anything like that. It's like the classes are there for whenever you want. Like if you want to go at fucking two in the morning uh, and then sit outside the class and wait, you can do that. Uh, it's It doesn't force you to go to class. And the classes themselves, you kind of do like one class and then the rest of it is like the professor's like, I have an assignment for you go kill people with this spell and then come back to me and I'll teach you a new spell. So it, there's a little bit of like, you're not totally living out the student's life at Hogwarts. You're kind of a student who's there. Who's also on this like epic secret quest at the same time. So there's a disconnect there that I think some people will probably be frustrated by. Um, I'm sorry. Does that, that, that answer your question? Yes. No, I'm just saying like, is it legitimate to say, yes, the game has got some clunks, but I've always wanted to go to Hogwarts. Yeah. Like, no, is that I, a legitimate gaming take as a movie fan and not a gamer, all of these technical hoo-hahs or whatever yeah. the fuck you want to call them. I don't give a shit. You know? None like, of it. None of it has bothered me enough to be like, there was one thing. I just broke bread. With I know. He's I just, yeah. I have never heard you say hoo-ha. And it's like, <laughs> you're, you're combining like 1950s with like your fucking Hogwarts. And it's just, it's a very funny mix that's throwing me off. And I love it. The, the only technical thing that I found, which wasn't even a technical thing. It was just a fucking annoying game mechanic was there was a, a platform that I had to raise. And the way you did it was uh, use a spell on this lever to keep it raising you up. I pushed it once. It got me like shoulder high with this ledge I needed to climb up. Turns out you can't do it. You had to keep pressing it. So I thought I was like not able to mantle up this thing. And it, it, I go stuck on it for 20 minutes. Turns out I'm just an idiot. But it's just stuff like that. That's like, that's flawed game design. And then the other thing that I think is really bad is... Uh, you craft all these potions and, and whatnot. And 
when you go to do that, you put all your ingredients together and it says, wait 60 seconds or more or less. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you're encouraging me because I can't go do something else in 60 seconds in the game. You're encouraging me to pull up Twitter and look at Twitter for 60 seconds. You're actively telling me, stop playing the game. Right. Like, interesting. that's bad that's, game that's design. That's a good technical kind of glitch that I, yeah. yeah. So it's stuff like that. It's like, that's bad game design. And I don't necessarily, it doesn't like give you any benefit to waiting, right? It's just like, making you wait for the sake of waiting so stuff like that's really dumb the combat is really fun i've seen a lot of clips of people before the game came out like being like this looks so boring and lame and it's like people playing the game really poorly and not knowing what to do there's like 20 plus spells in this game probably and all of them have their own purposes some of them are for puzzles some of them are for attacking people some of them are for both um early on you only have a small selection of spells but the way you kind of play the game is being inventive with these spells. They all do their own thing, but they can all work together in a very fun way. So you can use one spell to lift someone up, another spell to pull them towards you, then light them on fire, and then push <laughs> them away into a group of people, lighting them on fire. Oh, this sounds sick. It's stuff like that. It's just like, if you think you can do it, you can probably do it, and you'll be often rewarded for doing so. And wow. cool. it's it's fun when a game lets you off the leash and goes here's a bunch of tools, here's a sandbox, have fun. Yeah. And I think it succeeds at that. Okay, I think that's a great place to put a pin in it. B, I'm just curious, you're a non-gamer. Does hearing this make you intrigued, <clears throat> jealous, don't care? Like hearing that you could base... No, no, seriously, I'm curious because like I just said, my main function of gaming is to immerse myself in pop culture worlds that I love. So I know that B is on the same page and I would imagine like, Hearing this shit, I'd be like, oh, that sounds fucking dope. The boy who lived come to die. I want to do that. Do that you can do that. <laughs> Listen, at the end of the day, I, yeah, I, I'm not a gamer. I think it sounds cool. Like, if I didn't have to go buy a whole system and everything, yeah, I might mess around. But, you know, it's hard for me to be like, hey, go do this mission, then come back to this mission. I'd be like, okay, I'm, I'm probably over this. And I wouldn't learn the necessary spells and, and all the things I need to actually have go fun in, like, the sure, open sure. world. But yeah, I mean, I, I when I was a little kid, and honestly, still now, like I pretended to be a Jedi, I pretended to be a Super Saiyan, <laughs> I pretended to be a wizard. Like, oh, of course, I want to play in these worlds. Yeah. All yeah. right, let's take. Okay, oh, sorry. One last thing I'll say real quick is it's a very immersive world, a very detailed world. Like you know, when you watch the movies, there's just so much shit going on in the background, like ghosts and spells and stuff. There, that's in the game. Like I walked through a hallway, and there was a, a kid with his friends. And they were all talking. And then a howler, which for non-Harry Potter fans is these envelopes that open up and they start yelling at you. And a howler from his father came up to him and started bitching him out in front of all of his friends. And so he's embarrassed. And he's like, you fucking idiot. Why'd you do that? So it's just stuff like like that 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 immerses you in that world. Yeah. All right. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, The Last of Us episode four breakdown. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
All right, and we are back. The Last of Us Episode 4. Please hold my hand. We are back on the main storyline with Ellie and Joel heading out to Wyoming. Let's share some big picture thoughts before we dive into the beat-by-beat recap. After re-watching today, I actually think that this episode's combination of elements it may make it my favorite one yet so far, which I've seen takes that this is the worst one yet, but I think when you could combine a great shootout set piece that not only worked technically but narratively as well like usually we complain about people just dying left and right and having no fucking meaning at all that was the first time ellie saw joel kill somebody and that was the first time that she had to or or at least in the context of the show had to kill somebody those are very impactful didn't she see him beat the other guy to death though in uh one of the early episodes episode one or two uh, it's unclear if he's dead yeah, he gets I, fucked yeah. up pretty bad, though. Okay, well then he's dead. <laughs> yeah, well I think more so in like um like that kind of like war zone a kill as opposed uniform. to like, that was a standoff kill. Yeah, what? It was, like to, last night or Sunday's episode was more of a war zone kill, like active action. The other one is like okay, it's one guy with a gun on them. It's a little bit of a standoff. It's a little bit yeah. And it, I would, it's hard to say beating someone to death is more passive, but you know. No, what I but mean. I would further that by saying the guy that he beat to death was a uniformed sort of. Fedra is being compared to sort of a yeah, fascist-esque yeah. organization. So um, so you've got the shootout. You've got character development moments, such as the, the puns and Joel teaching Ellie about the gun. You've got an introduction of a badass villain played by a notable actress. And then you combine all those things, which brings me to the realization of that I think that the intensity and the enjoyment of this show is on a course of an exponential growth curve because it is directly tied to the burgeoning relationship between the two main characters. So as we, as they grow fonder of each other and as we grow fonder to them, how the stakes and sort of the enjoyment of the small moments between them are only going to grow. Yeah. Uh, one of the most important things about the games, and I've said this before, is the stuff in between the cutscenes where Ellie and Joel are just walking around and they're talking and they're learning about each other. And one of the things that you see in this episode is the the pun book. And that's in the game. She'll walk around and just randomly plot a joke. And a lot of the jokes from the game are in the show. And that's, that's great stuff to connect them and bind them together. And the way the show has found ways to sprinkle that in is, is really beautiful. And I think great character development. This show does not work, does not work unless the actress or actor playing um, Ellie is phenomenal. And Mm -hmm. Bella Ramsey, I don't know what it is about game of Thrones finding unproven, uh, you know, thespians that are just so (laughs) organic. Like, I, they are the most natural presence on screen that I have seen in a good long time. And I, and it sells the entire Joel uh, Ellie relationship so well. I think one thing they do really well, I think what kind of sunk Westworld, particularly in its like second season, is it was all drama with zero levity. And even Game of Thrones with Tyrion and Bronn and a few others had right. some excellently placed jokes. And the, the natural organic humor that arises from their dynamic and the pun book, I love a good, bad pun. It really helps modulate the show so the emotional moments hit even harder. And then quickly, number three, this show does such a good job of getting you to buy into the world and the relationships that we forget there's really only been one main zombie set piece. You know, mm-hmm. the pilot's more about the fall of society than the, than the zombies. 
it really hasn't been about the the dead creatures much at all. It's been like one or two, you know, big moments with them. And I think that's just a, a really great reflection of how it's a apocalyptic zombie show that's not really an apocalyptic zombie show. So just quick, because it's hard for my ADD brain to keep track of a few thoughts at once. I thought about the lack of zombies, quote unquote, because I thought about people complaining that the show is not badass enough. And I'm like, all right, is Melanie Linsky fucking cold-bloodedly dome-piecing <laughs> man who delivered her badass enough for you? Pretty like, fucked. what more do you need? Second thing is, we will get to the point about sort of um, how much this show relies on the performances with my first sort of plot beat here. So let's get to that now. Joel and Ellie continue their journey to Wyoming with Ellie taking up gun practice and joke-telling as a hobby. Traveling through Missouri, they take a detour through the ruins of Kansas City, where they are ambushed by bandits. Joel kills two of them, but a third overpowers him and nearly strangles him to death before Ellie saves him by shooting the man with her gun. So that's sort of the first stanza that we'll start with. As B's point about how natural Bella Ramsey is, it's something that we talked about last week. It is the Bella Ramsey appreciation segment, it's something that we're going to be doing week by week. So We'll end the show with that. So think on that while we record, fellas. I think that, you know, the Pedro Pascal casting, when it went down, everyone was like, y'all fucking nailed that one. Mm -hmm. But the Bella <laughs> Ramsey one, she was obviously a scene stealer in one of the greatest shows of all time. But that was sort of all the context that we had. Nobody had ever seen her in anything else. And certainly considering that those Bella Ramsey scenes in Thrones were the equivalent of like an eighth inning reliever coming out in like a in like a five run game just to, you know, get a, a few out. She wasn't she was great, but her job was kind of easy to do. Now she's the focus, right? She's the point guard. She's QB. And whereas I find and I know that it's in the game, but but using the sort of the pun book and the porno mag as a vehicle for relationship development. Well, that could usually come across as kind of forced Ramsey and Pedro are so goddamn good that the show is able to overcome that. One of the things that pop in my mind is that night out in the forest when, you know, Joel turns his back to her and he doesn't want to show that he cracked the grin. Like these are the little, I, I, I am trying to write scripts. So maybe it's in there, but I doubt the script said crack a, like Joel crack small grin. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That is all Pedro Pascal. And then you have Ellie, her reaction. I brought this up her face when Joel said the word seatbelt as if he might as well spoken and like Klingon language <laughs> was incredible this week. Her reaction like, you know how hard it is to act surprised? Her reaction to smelling coffee for the first time? Oh, like, she is just so good at coming across as she as if she's naturally discovering these things for the first time. When you combine that genuine, open-eyed, open-minded innocence of youth with Pedro Pascal, who has honed this skill on Mando for the last three years of sort of that stoic, quiet, big-hearted protector, it's just magic, man. Let's move on to the sort of next big stance, I think, which is the shootout set piece and Ellie shooting the kid. Real quick, fun Easter egg. When they're driving through Kansas City, the theater marquee shows that the last two films to hit theaters <laughs> were Ridley Scott's Matchstick Men and Underworld. the, and, uh, the what the hell's her name? The Kate Beckinsale starring Underworld. 
You know, Matchstick Men's underrated. I like that. Film. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah absolutely. Great fucking twist. So yeah, sort of my big points here is that the uh, the 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 fake in need of aid gambit that they use is sort of post-apocalyptic world red flag 101. I've seen this yeah. in Book of Eli. I've seen this in Mad Max Fury Road. Surely countless more. And that's why I like how Joel clocked it immediately. Like mm-hmm. he, and, I, and they explained it in the show of, well, he said, oh, well, I've been on both sides. But the reality is we've all seen tons of movies. Yeah. And we know that when people are faking that they're, when people come out in the middle of the road, like, help me, <laughs> odds are it's fucking bullshit. So I just like the realism of Joel there. Yeah, in the in the game, this this whole sequence happens, and Ellie says, "Are we gonna help him?" And he says, "He's not even hurt." He just floors it at him, and it's it's. I wish they had kept that line in the show because he doesn't he doesn't really say anything. It's such a badass line, though. There's something about lived in world knowledge that is so cool because this isn't you know he Joel is not a superhero. He doesn't have superpowers, but he survives because he's capable as a human and and crafty intellectually. And I just I think that that's cool that that's rooted also in some very gray morality. You know, he's, he's been on both sides. That's a telling point. So very cool. So let's talk about Joel surviving this shootout. Last week, I said I didn't like the video game mechanic. Or no, sorry, that was the week before. That was mm-hmm. episode two. I didn't like the video game mechanics wherein they're being chased by the clicker and the debris falls through the doorway literally as soon as they walk through it. I didn't like that. I felt it worked much better this week because them being trapped felt like a far more natural narrative thread. They were shot off the road and they crashed. That is something that seems totally reasonable. And that is what allowed for the video game-esque sequence of events that followed. So I'm hoping that that is a sign that as this show progresses, the writers and directors got a better feel of how to dramatize video game set pieces one thing and we we can maybe touch on this more a little bit later but one thing is i kind of dawned on me is this whole show is about getting ellie to this hospital where they can hopefully find a cure for this zombie virus right even if they did that if they were successful if they cured zombies can you reform this world at this point you know all these people are immediately trying to kill people they see like How do you, A, get that message spread across the country? We figured it out and get people to trust you. How do you, like, there's so many larger problems. And I don't think it's like a fault fault, fault of the story. I think that's something that they kind of want you to think about is like humans are the enemy here. And the idea that we may be too far gone as people, like that's beyond saving. I think that's such an interesting idea. And, and it becomes more and more prevalent, especially throughout this episode with these people who overthrew the government to to do whatever it is they're doing now i'm not the one to ask about this because i in real life am rooting for the meteor to just (laughs) end it i'm i'm very uh, cynical about humanity so yeah there's no coming back to it i i do think it's funny and i've seen a little bit of this online like in real life, we obviously, not to get too political, we we have a, you know, a, a vocal contingent of anti-vaxxers in real life that are continuing that conversation. <laughs> and in this, they're like, you gotta get Ellie to the hospital, <laughs> manufacture this cure and save this fake world. I'm like, guys, 
you want you want to talk about cognitive dissonance, uh, <laughs> Eric, in terms of Marvel. Just just look at these real world stakes, dude. It's so funny that you bring up the anti-vaxxers because i wrote in my notes how i think it's so funny how melanie linsky's whole gang looks like they were all at the capitol on gen 6 <laughs> the whole the whole squad yeah uh, all right and then i think that this is probably the key scene in the in if not the episode the show at large so far and that is ellie shooting and paralyzing this kid an absolutely gnarly scene that i've seen compared by multiple outlets at the ringer at new rock stars compared to the saving private ryan scene where the guy and that german have like a one-on-one with a knife and at the end he tries to like talk him out of it. it's like wait, 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 wait please please so hey first things first this is a new scene right yeah, in the game, they crash, they are uh, pinned down, and they have to fight their way out, but Joel's killed everyone, no question. Right. Uh, yeah. So this is a pretty big departure in terms of Ellie's arc. I mean, like, having, like, what amounts to, what, a 17-year-old? What, Kate? Go ahead. Sorry. So uh, earlier in the game, there is a moment where Joel is pinned down uh, under the somebody. water, and she shoots somebody. But, but he's, it's... like, a burly middle-aged man. In, yeah, like, the middle yeah, of exactly. Exactly. So, you know, him calling for his mother while he's paralyzed, and Joel shoves a knife into his heart. Like, dude, that is fucking dark and i think mm-hmm. my main takeaway from this is again a as i touched on before the video game mechanics working like they were able to use that to introduce this character into the scene and even though he's only in the show for a minute or two it's effective but then b i think it just further highlights how much bella ramsey is crushing it because her facial and ocular acting is out of this world it mm-hmm. is out of this world the fact that she's able to portray immense horror and sadness and ultimately acceptance in just her face in this moment is just Emmy winning shit. Yeah. Uh, it It is interesting too, because although the scene is in the game necessarily, there are moments in the game where let's say you kill all the enemies except for one. And then you wound one of the last, the last guy, Joel will then, get an execution opportunity on the last person and the guy will stand there and go, please don't do it. I'm begging you. And Joel can go up there and just like blow his head off. And Ellie will usually go, Oh my God. Like she's a little stunned, but it's not part of the narrative. So it's never really properly addressed, but yes, I agree. Watching her kind of like walk away. She knows kind of what has to happen. There's nothing she can do about it. She's just kind of so fucking gnarly. She's like, oh, yeah, yes. I mean, fuck. And and she's crying. And then as soon as Joel comes in the room, she just wipes away her tears and says, I'm good. Yeah. And she does the thing that I I know the kids and even myself as an adult will try to act like you're okay. You'll try to overcompensate to move on to the next thing. So as soon as they talk about it, she's kind of like, and like, all right, what's next mode? Do we got to go up the, and that's just so her trying to move on and block it out. But I I really like that because to your point earlier, Eric, Joel doesn't want to let her see his true emotions. And Ellie is essentially doing the same thing. And I like how in many ways, they're mirror images of each other. You know, I think you go back to the first episode when Joel does beat that officer to death to protect her. Ellie's never had any sort of relationship that was like that. So that's, you know, in a very dark way, aspirational and inspirational to her. And now you see kind of the reverse of that as well, where Ellie saves Joel. And by doing so, whether or not uh, the character has done it before, like she says, it does 
calcify a bit of her soul to do that as well. And and Joel recognizes that and vocalizes that. So they've now done something for each other that was very extreme. And this is still just the beginning of their relationship. So I, I like seeing how in many ways that there, there are a lot of, there's a lot of behavioral and mental uh, overlap between the two. Yeah. All right. Next plot beat, uh, more bandits led by Melanie Linsky's Kathleen find the bodies. Kathleen believing that Joel and Ellie are in contact with a man she seeks named Henry orders a manhunt. Kathleen's second-in-command, Perry, shows her a room with something growing underground, but Kathleen orders him to conceal it. Melanie Linsky's introduction, murdering the doctor who delivered her. Wow. So, I mean, look, I know that I have my problems with the sort of guest star of the week type format, but this looks like it's going to be a multi-episode arc. So I enjoy that, getting somebody... You know, this was, I think, before Yellow Jackets had come out. They filmed back in 2021. Yellow Jackets came out last year. So they kind of got her at a great time. She is obviously crushing it. Her character, as far as I could tell, is looking for Henry because he, she believes that he was involved with her brother beaten to death. She's so obsessive that she murders their only doctor on a hunch. So I'm just really looking forward to sort of a human mini villain to occupy the space for this two or three week stretch. Yeah, I mean, the show's about real people in a terrible situation, right? And she is the soft-spoken woman who, you know, you'd see her at like the supermarket and she seems like she'd be a little Karen-y, but like at the same time, like still be kind of okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but Karen-y, but mommy as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Not in the sexy way, but like just mommy as in like she's oh. maternal. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I completely agree. And to see, just to introduce her as like this cold-hearted, I mean, B-I-T-C-H, like that's what it is. That's the character. And yeah. she she's a terrible she woman. Game? No, completely new character. Okay. None of this is part of the game. Um, gotcha, okay. But yeah, it, it, so it kind of gives context to um why henry and sam who are in the game are being chased in the game it's just more like there are bad people chasing them well, whatever uh but this gives some context behind that uh but yeah she's she's scary i don't like her <laughs> I, I know it's a technical point but bella ramsey british uh melanie linsky from new zealand like you would never be able to tell in all of their role or you know bella ramsey in game of thrones of course but melanie linsky has made a career of arguably the best american accent i've ever heard from a i had no idea accent. that she's not american it's yeah. like when people hear an interview with christian bam like batman's british or Welsh or whatever he, he is. Yeah. But hers is even more <laughs> extreme she's from yeah. fucking new zealand that is pretty that's a leap yeah uh, and then, I, so yeah, I think that what is sort of growing underground, we've seen it in the teaser. Yeah, what, what is that? I was so like confused. A, it's like this giant clicker. Like it's an even yeah, bigger. That's clicker. what I. Like, I knew it was bad news because yeah. you just like immediately you're like whatever that is, it's not good. Yeah. But I just didn't know what it actually was. How yeah. how does a giant clicker uh, emerge when it's like usually single human beings? The uh, so in the game, this thing is introduced in Bill's town. It's it's at a high school gym and it just comes and starts fucking shit up. And it's called a bloater and it's it's ginormous and it can like fling stuff at people and stuff. But um, as far as I understand, the mutation starts with like the runners. They can see they can they're like people and they just have spores or a fungus on their heads. Then it evolves into like the clickers where they're blinded by all of the mold all over their head. And, and if they and last over time, this is yeah, how they okay. yeah. And then 
it, I guess the final stage or probably one of the final stages is becoming this bloater thing. As far as I understand, it could be a little bit more than that, but and this I, was, I just don't get how like a single person becomes like a huge mass. I'll, I'll, I'll double check on that for you to get the science correct. Yeah, give me the <laughs> science, man. <laughs> They've scaled down the fucking grossness the past two weeks. So I'm expecting it to be ramped back up to a thousand by this for thing. sure. All right, final little point of this uh, plot beat. I, I mean, again, one of my favorite scenes in this show so far, Joel checking in with Ellie to see if she's all right. He hasn't shown or used emotion in so long that he literally doesn't even know how to ask somebody if they're all right. He says it like like a robot. He's like, are you all right? Like, yeah. Because like, <laughs> so it's like, oh, he's doing his best. Yeah, right? Yeah. So it just shows how far gone he, he is. And then like, him giving her the gun and teaching her, you know, we're really starting to see the walls break down here, a real father-daughter vibe. And that's why I think that, you know, now they've sort of unshackled the relationship between these two because they've not only have, you know, inside jokes and stuff like that, but they have shared trauma now too. So now they're a real unit. Yeah. Uh, in, in the game, there there's kind of the sequence where... Uh, Joel is about to go into this big area with a lot of people and he gives Ellie a rifle and he's like, protect me. And she's like, are you sure? And he's like, I trust you just do this. And this is a great way of making this more of a emotional moment where they can talk about what just happened. You're a kid. You shouldn't be going through this. That's a horrible thing. I had a daughter. He's not saying it, but you know, I had a daughter and I wouldn't want to see her in this position. I mean, that's, that's really where it all comes back to is, him being a father and having to see through the eyes of a kid that's terrible i I just don't have much to add because you guys have pretty (laughs) much killed it in this summation just long story short i i i ship the parental relationship between the two and going back to what we said about like the puns you know i i think i'm someone who's close with their parents and i have inside jokes with my mom and my dad and I think that's what we're seeing develop here. And it's this kind of beautiful bedrock of what is going to be the <laughs> defining relationship and dynamic of this whole show. Yeah. And then the final plot beat that I really don't have many thoughts for. So if you guys don't either, we can just jump to the Bella Ramsey appreciation segment. Joel finds a high rise where he and Ellie sleep for the night and they sort of redo the pawn beat that we saw out in the woods earlier in the episode uh until they could scout away out of kansas city they awake to find henry and his this recap says brother but i'm pretty sure that's his son brother brother. oh oh uh they awake to find henry and his brother sam holding them at gunpoint anything on the final plot beat i i like how ellie mentions that he can't hear out of his like right ear uh Mm. because he's shot so much i wonder if that'll come back in some capacity yeah exactly it seems like something I mean, they kind of set up, are you even going to hear anyone if they come in? And he doesn't, obviously. But uh, I wonder if that will have a larger implication for something in the future. I don't know. And my big takeaway is I never want a gun pointed in my face. And so far, I've gone <laughs> 30 years without it. And I'm going to hopefully go another 30. Big, um, <laughs> not quite the same, but big Karen pulling the gun on Henry Hill and controlled vibes. <laughs> that's like true. Not, the yeah. same shot to a gun yeah. in your fucking face. Yeah, that's absolutely. a nice reference right there. All right, Bella Ramsey appreciation segment. I dropped mine earlier when she reacts to smelling coffee for the first time, and she's like, "Oh, what the fuck is that?" And then later she says it smells like burnt shit. Ten out of ten. I like her ability to swear. She just she has a, a weight to her swear. She's like, you motherfucker. And I'm like, you really put the like punch behind that. And that's, that's exactly how Ellie is. And I love that. No, the, the moment of the episode is clearly when she asked Joel, why are the pages stuck together? And he, 
frozen with awkwardness. Yeah. Just, ah, I'm just fucking with you. Yeah, that's like another great moment from the game. Sorry, I sound like such a fucking nerd just saying, oh, it's from the game. But Dude, you're a video game writer. <laughs> the context of the source material. I don't think yeah. that's dirty at all. I think, please, because as someone who hasn't played the games, please keep it coming. Yeah, that beat for beat, that entire scene, including the Hank Williams song, is in the game. And It's kind of wild, Brandon. Yeah, you should kind of, yeah, it's, it's wild. It's awesome. Yeah, all right. I think that's a great place to put a pin in it. Episode five drops on Friday on HBO Max, courtesy of, Super Bowl LVII bet the over. Um, <laughs> make sure to follow Brandon at great underscore Caspi and all the great work he's doing at Parrot. Like I said, he's talking to some of the industry leaders this week. This is where post credit pod, this is what we offer that nobody else can. You've got B doing highbrow, brainy shit with executives. You got Cade playing games all week, <laughs> writing reviews. Then you've got me ripping pen, tied all together in one pretty little bow. Well, um, this triple threat. No, and I actually, I guess that I'm like screener guy now. I saw Ant-Man, so I'm still bringing stuff to the table. Mm-hmm. Uh, follow Cade at Cade underscore Onder and all of his work at comicbook.com, including his ongoing review of Harry Potter. Hogwarts Legacy and also his recaps of The Last of Us. Follow me at Eric Italiano on the podcast at Postgred Pod. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify if you have not. I have a 30 minute interview with Reed Scott, who played Dan Egan in Veep and also plays Michelle Williams's new boyfriend in the Venom films coming this week. So make sure to tune back in for that. I'm seeing Kang 3 on thursday but i doubt we're going to be talk- talking Kang about three oh, jesus <laughs> i'm like damn marvel's really putting them out there <laughs> before ant-man three kang three <laughs> so the same way that apple gave timothy chalamet an iphone 17 to star in those ads marvel showed me kang three to say nice things about <laughs> ant-man three um, well, it makes sense because of the Jonathan Majors connective tissue. Oh, yeah. So I'm seeing Creed 3. I got to see Creed 1 and 2 first. <laughs> You're going to love Creed They're great. Yeah. Oh, shit. Kate, you saw Knock at the Cabin. Good? Yeah. Score out of 10? Uh, 7.5 or an 8. Sick. I'll, okay. I'll go, I'll go 6.8 to 7. Oh, B. You've seen you it well. Too? All right. Yeah. Solid, I liked it. I just wanted scores. to like it more. Extremely well shot. Like in terms of cool the movie. actual technical filmmaking, one of my favorites are M. Nights. I just think the story yeah. really loses momentum. Sure. Wow. Interesting. I mean, aren't those all his films? Cool. <laughs> I, I, you know, I love, I love Sixth Sense and Unbreakable and Signs to a degree. And then Split is good. So next week we will have the last of us episode of Oh, right. I'm going to make them up. Yeah, so we probably have the last class. All right. My name is Maximus Decimus Meridian. Oh, man. I got the first one over there. Next week we will talk about the last of us episode five.